RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. I'm going to start right now. I'm back for more. We're back for more. That is our motto, unless, of course, you ask Barry. And then our motto is uh, Omnia Ifutimus. This is Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. It's the time to spend with your Star Trek pals talking Discovery this week. Oh, you know the way to Eden, but do you know the way to New Eden? That was the question I had. I got to say, John, I was uh, really bummed by the lack of dirty space hippies in this episode. Uh, me too. I was hoping that you would say that because there was yeah. no singing. There, there, there was no, uh, there were no liars or lutes involved. Uh, yeah. There was no Charles Napier anywhere to be found. Oh, there were liars. Oh, oh yeah. Joining uh, us this week. Thank you. David Kyle Johnson is joining us. Philosopher, professor, lecturer, trekker. We'll ask him questions about religion, about the Prime Directive, and whether disappointment that I felt is an actual thing. I'm bummed about the space hippies, I'm telling you. The question I have is, are you bummed about the space hippies as well, or lack thereof? Do you have questions and thoughts about New Eden that you would like to share? Well, sure. Join our Zoom meeting, won't you? You can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can click the link on Facebook, uh, enter the meeting code once you get past that first hurdle, and then... You can be on video like with us. Of course, you can always pick up the phone and do things the old-fashioned way. Give us a call at 646-558-8656. 646-558-8656. And uh, it would just be like you calling us if you were just to call us, won't you? Hey, uh, let's do that thing that I like to do, which is to say hello to everyone who is joining us in the chat right now in Facebook. Steve Sheridan, there's Lisa, there's Josh, there's Rick, there's Dale, there's Adam, Chris, uh, uh, Casey. He's calling out uh, John Cooley. Don't know why. Uh, There's Will, there's Carlos, uh, Richard, Scott Palm, our old buddy Scott Palm, uh, Evan, Keith, so many people saying hi to us. It's great to see you all. Thanks for, uh, for joining us again, and thanks for sticking around. Can't wait to read your comments as we get into the chat about New Eden. So we would like to thank you all for checking us out here live on Facebook, or if you catch the video later at youtube.com slash Prod. That's cool, too. We're certainly on the audio-only podcast. Uh, well, uh, we are all welcoming you there, too. Uh, wherever you find us, please hit like, please hit share, and let the world know that we'd like everyone to join us here on Tuesday nights to talk Trek. Hey, uh, what's coming up? Well, funny you should ask. Uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is in full swing, so we'll discuss those episodes every week live with you, as we did with Season 1. When disco is on, we're all up in the disco. When disco goes away, we will get back to topical discussions and interviews with guests. Hey, Ken, what's happening in the VR world? I'm very excited because uh, this thing, the very first thing that I wanted to do when we first started talking to the people about the virtual reality thing, we started talking to the good people at Sansar. One of the things I wanted to do was have a theater there. Uh, so that so that people could go there and, you know, we could have lectures, we could have talks, we could show things, stuff like that. And after uh, well over a year of, uh, of talking about it, we have a theater. Uh, the Roddenberry Theater in Sansar is, uh, is a thing. Uh, you've gotten to walk through it. I've gotten to walk through it. I've been able to. Let's, let's do it that way. You've been able to. I've been able to. We've both been there. 
Uh, we haven't done a thing there yet, but this Thursday night, January 31st at 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, Dr. Trek Larry Nemechek will join us and uh, we'll be showing some Star Trek bloopers and uh, and, and talking and, and getting a feel for the room. So, uh, yeah, we would love it if people could join us. And, you know, same thing as always. There's a ton of great stuff in Sansar for you to check out, not just the Roddenberry Nexus, which is great, not just the Roddenberry Theater, which is also great. Uh, but, uh, golly, you could go to the moon, you can go to Mars, <laughs> you can go uh, just all kinds of places. There are a couple of bars you can go to there. They're starting to host comedy things. It, it's been interesting because when we first started working with Sensar, we were like one of maybe three events that you would see regularly. And now I'm getting more and more notices from them that there's more and more stuff happening. So I would encourage you to check it out anytime. Sensar.com uh, is the place to find out more. You can start your account there. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, play Space Barbie and you know build up your avatar. And then, um, yeah, just go and have fun. As long as you have a computer that runs Windows 7 or later. Unfortunately, no Mac support right now. Talk to the good people at Facebook about that if you want to. But, um, but uh, yeah. They, oh, yeah. Wait, what? people at Facebook? People at Sansar? No, no, the people no. at Facebook. It, it, it's a gripe. I mean, Oculus was <laughs> developing for the Mac until Facebook bought Oculus, and suddenly Oculus wasn't developing for the Mac anymore. Uh, That's why yeah. I say talk to the good people at Facebook about that, because feels to me like they might have put a stake in the heart of uh, VR for Apple for a while, but whatever. There, yeah, that's okay. my short thing on it. Yeah, or talk to the people at Sensar too, because, you know, yeah. Sensar as well, not Sensar too. There's not a sequel yet. Hey, can I point out a quick thing that I yeah. didn't get to mention uh, last week? Because it, it has to do with wardrobe, because we were getting some questions in the uh, in the chat here. First of all, you're wearing the uh, the very rare, very exclusive 1952 pen uh, uh, based on the movie Tomorrowland, which I love and you love. And I, I'm thinking we'll just have a whole Tomorrowland podcast someday. Uh, That'd be fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing somebody asked, is that Lando? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Lando. It's Childish Gambino. It's it's yeah. uh, it's um. Nah, I can't think of his real name. Honestly, David Glover. D- uh, D- uh, Donald Glover. Donald Glover. Sorry, so yeah. close. No, it's yeah. quite right. It's uh, it's also Troy from Community. It's so many things happening right here. Yeah, including yes, Lando. Which you know you can say, did we really need another Lando? And I say, if you do, you pick the right one. I yeah. loved him as Lando. But, it I mean, looks a little bit like a Starfleet Delta behind him, so you kind of threw me off for a no, moment. It's, you know, it's, honestly, uh, what I love about this, this was a gift. Yeah. I love It's straight out of the 1980s. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. obviously, but this, like, I have, I actually have still one of my Empire Strikes Back shirts that I, like, nice. grew out of really quickly, which means it stayed in fantastic condition. And, and this looks like, I mean, this is like that moment. I was, yeah. So anyway, yeah, Lando. I'm cool. It's uh, it's wardrobe talk on a Tuesday night with John and Ken. <laughs> Glad that we could do that. Yeah. Hey, hey let's uh, move on to the poll. Yeah. Why don't we? Or you? Well, I was going to say yes. Do that. All right. John. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Cool. So last week we asked you about New Pike. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. I'm not shocked here at all. New Pike. Thumbs up. Ninety six percent. Thumbs down. Four percent. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I would even say with a, a margin of error of four points. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I love New Pike. But this week, this week, uh, Ken, you posed a, a very interesting question. 
Wow. Thank you for throwing me under the bus. I thought people <laughs> could just think that the, uh, you know, the poll questions just happen. Uh, the question this week is Tilly Wesley 2.0. <laughs> I think that's pretty much, I mean, I think that pretty much says it honestly is Sylvia Tilly Wesley crusher for, you know, a new age for a new series. Uh, the answer so far, yes, 23%, no, 77%. You could, I think you could honestly make an argument for either case. So I don't blame people for either way they vote on this one, unlike John and Captain Pike. But the question is, <laughs> is Tilly Wesley 2.0? You got a week to answer that question. Of course, you just go to facebook.com slash mission log pod, scroll up, scroll down. You can't scroll sideways there, but scroll around and uh, look for the poll question and then uh, submit your answer, won't you? Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think it's a fair question. And I, I think that, you know, I, the way I look at it, uh, Tilly is Wesley 2.0 to the extent that you have a young character sort of in growth, you know, uh, somebody who's who's growing into the role, growing into this uh, life in Starfleet. But I think Wesley played a very different role in the show, which was sort of drive home this family aspect of next mm-hmm. Men that we really don't have in Discovery. Uh, so I, I think they don't serve the same purpose in that way. Okay. You see, probably we should leave this discussion to next week. Okay. I don't know. I mean, because I don't, well, I don't want to, I don't want to influence people or influence people even. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I can, I can see reasons for arguing either way. And if, if anybody wanna, wants to ask later, if anybody wants to call in with their answer to the poll question as well, I mean, we could, we could talk about it a bit more. I would just hate to, I would hate to influence the outcome. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. All right. Well, I tell you what, we, we have a guest patiently standing by. We want to talk about this week's episode, New Eden. So, yes. I, you yeah. want to get to the recap first, though, don't you? you got a lot of I, I, I want to get to the recap, exactly, so we can bring in uh, Kyle, who's been waiting. Cool, cool, so, cool. Uh, cool. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Here we go. Michael Burnham shows Captain Pike what she found in Spock's quarters, a sketch that is nearly identical to the placement of those mysterious red signals that have been popping up throughout the galaxy. She sure would like to talk to Spock, but she can't because he checked himself into a psychiatric unit on Starbase 5. As long as we're coming clean about things, Burnham definitely does not come clean with Pike about seeing one of those red angels when she was stuck on an asteroid in last week's episode. This awkward moment interrupted by the sighting of another red signal and off Disco goes in pursuit. Oh, it's in the Beta Quadrant, so they're not going to get there anytime soon, except that they have a spore drive which they can take out of mothballs. Stamets can do it again, but he's got reservations about entering the network. Culber was there, and he doesn't know why, or if he'd want to come back. Twirly, spinny thing, welcome to the Beta Quadrant, and no signal, but there is a planet. It's M-Class. It's got people on it human people, and there's a distress signal coming from below. This Earth-like planet has Earth-like people and an Earth-like town with an Earth-like church that all looks about 200 years old. It's right around the time of World War III, and no way there were people who had warp drive who could get them this far then or now. So what gives? Well, Pike wonders if it's divine intervention, but one more thing this planet has a ring of radioactive debris in orbit. Please hold that thought. The landing party will have to do what they can, blend in and try to get to the bottom of this. Meanwhile, Tilly takes a sample of her asteroid and hurts herself really badly in the process. 
Saru later tells her in the sick bay, hey, don't do that. Take care of yourself. When Pike, Burnham, and Awashekun, I think I got that right, beam down, undercover, of course, they find the church is a mishmash of religious symbolism from all over Earth, and they get caught snooping, of course. They have some lame story about being from the North, but still have to go meet this town's mother. Exposition time. Mother explains that during World War III, some soldiers and others were cornered in a church when all seemed hopeless. They found themselves whisked away by some power to this planet. They didn't know how or why or who to thank. So they sort of cobbled together a quasi-religion based on all major Earth religions in order to make some sense of it. Burnham's like, um, excuse me, y'all ever heard of science? And they're like, yeah, that old thing, but we have no technology. So, nah. Hey, uh, remember that radioactive ring around the planet? It's bad, real bad. It'll start drifting toward the planet's surface in an hour and pretty much wipe out everything. Saru in command and everyone else on Disco needs to do some quick thinking. The danger is unbeknownst to our landing party, who are still looking for the source of that distress signal, which they find in the church basement. It's been on repeat for 200 years, and one guy, Jacob, has been tending to it his whole life, preceded by his ancestors, who were dedicated to, here we go, science. Pike wants nothing to do with this. He sees their presence as violating the prime directive since these people were pre-warp. Jacob is convinced that he's cracked the mystery, though. These are people from Earth with an advanced technology. They can unlock the secrets of why they're there. Pike denies this like crazy, but Jacob pulls a Batman and throws a flash grenade of some sort, knocking them out so he can disappear with their stuff. It's stress time on Disco, where everyone, including Tilly, is trying to come up with a way to prevent radioactive fallout from killing everyone on that planet. She has the help of May, an old friend, and deduces that using the asteroid they've captured could actually act like a magnet to move all that stuff away. It'll just require Stamets to jump them into the middle of the debris and Detmer to do some fancy flying. Cool? Cool. The landing party comes too, and they really want their stuff back. In the confusion, a little girl picks up a phaser, which Pike sees and tries to save her, by hurtling himself physically and jumping on it, which causes him to be hurt very badly. He's rushed back to the church by Burnham and Awashikun. They're able to beam out, but the last of that is seen by Jacob and Mother. Back on Disco, all the fancy sciencing and flying has worked perfectly. New Eden will live to see another day. And for her part in this, Stilly is given thumbs up by May. Wait, Stilly? We mean Tilly, right? Well, Tilly has heard that name before, and she needs to figure out where. Oh, yeah, May was someone she went to school with who is listed as deceased. Um, weird. Pike is recovering from his wound when Burnham stops by to talk about what's going on. Yeah, the people on that planet might be protected in some sense, but don't they deserve context? Is it, just for, is it just for us to lie to them about who we are and about who they are? Pike beams back down. He's got an offer for Jacob. How about one 23rd century power pack and trade for one 21st century distress signal 
which really isn't a distress signal at all. It's a helmet camera taken from one of the soldiers who was transported to this place 200 years ago. On playback, Pike sees chaos as soldiers and others take refuge in a church, then are greeted by the glowing, overpowering image of a red angel, not unlike the one seen by Burnham and seen by Spock. And on New Eden, Jacob plugs in that power pack, and it lights up the church's stained glass windows, which haven't been lit up in ages, attracting the villagers back to their church. The end. Nicely done, man. Well, I thank you for that because you know exactly how much time I had to do that. <laughs> which was to I'm amazed say, that there was an end. I'm amazed that there was an end there. Yeah, yeah. I pretty much was going to get to act three and go like, uh, blah, 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 Star Trek. Yeah, credits. more stuff, more thing, yeah. more stuff. Pike does a thing. Yep. The end. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, we've got actually a few callers lined up, but of course we do want to get to our, uh, we want to get to our guest first. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. bring in, uh, let's bring in our guest. Right, well, let me, let me say who he is first. Cause I know we cool. did before, but now we're really bringing him on. So now we really should. Uh, David Kyle Johnson is a professor at the, uh, well, I mean, he is a professor at King's college in Pennsylvania. I can't remember the exact city. I apologize. He's also a presenter and professor on the great courses, uh, lots of places you can find him. We will be sure to cover those later. But right now, we have to get to Star Trek super quick. Kyle, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on again. I'm really looking forward to this. Hey, so you're watching, I assume. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we hit an episode here, which, by the way, just for, for disclosure, uh, I, this is my favorite discovery so far. Um, I, this I felt particular like, episode. This particular episode, I felt like it had a real TOS feel for two reasons. Uh, one, just the discovery of an M-class planet that is so Earth-like. Um, in TOS, in our coverage on Mission Log, we always felt like that was kind of a cheesy cop-out because you could only do that so much. Oh, here's Miri. It looks exactly like Earth. We don't know why, but it just does. Um, and then you, you, you get to patterns of force. Here's a planet, uh, where you got Nazis. And then here's a piece of the action. Here's a planet that's very much like earth, but of the 1920s, uh, uh, with Chicagoland gangsters. But this was a really interesting way to take a, a trope of TOS and give it new context, give it new spin. So I like that, but I also really like that we are starting this dive into some really deep ideas. Yeah, so that's one of the kind of disappointments I guess I had in the first season of Discovery is that it wasn't as philosophical as I like Star Trek to be. Um, I know TOS is clearly philosophical. I think TNG is even more philosophical, uh, and especially in a way that like every episode is about a new topic and is kind of making an argument in and of itself, right? Um, DS9 does some of that, but it's more kind of like overarching. You get some specific episodes that are about that, but you know, you have more kind of overarching themes that are philosophical. Um, but um, this is maybe why I liked Enterprise a little bit more is because it's got these specific episodes that tackle specific issues. And so Discovery was this kind of you know, overarching thing where you didn't get specific episodes very often, at least, that tackle these issues. But you're right. This is one of them. And it's really nice. I really, really did enjoy it. So my, my takeaway is uh, obviously we're, we're starting off on a path here to, to dive into that theme of belief or, or faith versus science and and i like the idea that we start off with pike saying that his father was a scientist 
who also taught comparative religion. religion so yeah. in one person, we're already dealing with this, uh, this struggle. And then you have uh, clearly the, the science of what is playing out to solve a problem. But you have Michael Burnham, who just straight up says to these villagers, um, hey, guys, uh, science, remember that? Right. <laughs> So, so we're playing this out directly in the characters. Uh, that was the, the biggest thing that I'm taking away here. But, but what about you two, Kyle and, and Ken? Uh, what else as far as exploratory ideas? It was really that, that what this is focused on. Yeah, I think that's the main focus of it, right? You have kind of a throwaway line about, uh, you know, you got to take care of yourself before you take care of others or something like that, right? But clearly the issue is the kind of science versus religion thing. Uh, the crux of it is said early on in the episode where Pike makes that comment about uh, Clark's third law, right? And uh, any sufficiently advanced technologies indistinguishable for magic. And he says, actually... You know, later in our like in our future, their past uh, that was reinterpreted that any sufficiently intelligent non-Terran species, right, is right. indistinguishable from God, which I think is a really brilliant kind of take on that. Uh, and there's I could talk all day about the philosophical import there, and there's all kinds of issues to <laughs> to, to to parse out there. Um, and why I, th- I mean, I would argue that that's actually true, uh, and why it's true, and people raise objections to it, but I, I think that's the crux of it right there. Yeah. See, I, I, honestly, that made me angry. The only, and I'll tell you the only why? reason. Why? Well, because I feel like Clark's third law uh, already covers that. So to say that, you know, that people, I, I'm in a weird place on this episode, honestly, because on the one hand, I like the fact that it's tackling a bigger issue. On the other hand, I mean, we had, TOS seems to have decided for the Star Trek universe about religion. And yes, I know there's the line from, from Who Mourns. Um, and next gen seems to have decided for Star Trek about religion. Uh, Star Trek five after next gen started, but of course still back in Kirk's time seems to have decided about Star Trek, uh, about religion as far as the Star Trek universe is concerned. And now we have Pike coming along going, well, hang on, let's think about this. And, and I mean, of course, Pike is 10 years before who mourns. So maybe that makes more sense, but I was, mostly what bothered me about it, I'm fine discussing religion. I'm fine thinking about, you know, considering those ideas, reinterpreting Clark's law. I, I kind of felt like I, I wanted Arthur C. Clark to be alive. So he'd go, you know, but I think we're good with how I said it the first. <laughs> yeah, and it, it depends on how you define magic, right? For some people, magic and God are two different things. Uh, mm. Certainly one could believe in God, but not believe in magic, uh, mm. right? Uh, and so, but then of course, in other circles, or, you know, one might just say that any essentially saying God did it is equivalent to saying that it's magic. Right. And so there wouldn't be need to be that distinction. Right. Um, what, what I really, what I personally really like about this is because this tackles uh, a fallacy that I kind of named. It's very related to appeal to ignorance. So I didn't really can't take that much credit for it. Uh, but in a new book out called 101 um, logical fallacies, um, that's not the exact title, but it's what it's about. Um, I have this fallacy called the mystery, therefore magic fallacy. Um, and it's the idea that uh, it's a fallacy to think that the mere fact that you can't explain something is a reason to conclude that it has a magic explanation, right? Uh, but by magic there, I really just kind of mean supernatural explanation, right? And so right. God did it would be essentially like I equate magic explanations of God, you know, and, and God explanations uh, in that fallacy. But this episode is directly about it. Um, and as far as my memory serves, the only other episode of Star Trek to ever tackle this issue pretty directly in this way is um, Devil's Due 
from TNG where mm-hmm. uh, they the planet sells their soul to Ardra and yeah. Ardra can do all of these things and they can't like, they can't explain it and she's like so see I'm God right and Picard literally is like the fact that you can't explain it doesn't mean that it's supernatural there is an explanation we just have to find it and he goes off and he finds it right um, yeah. and so there's there's a similarity there but I, I love this topic and so I'm really glad to see Discovery you know tackling it in 21st century that's why we had to have me. you on, man. <laughs> do you just hate Star Trek V, though? Because what does God need with the starship is pretty much, I mean, that's tackling it, isn't it? <laughs> I think that there's a, a slightly um, different idea going on there. I mean, certainly, uh, well, I'll put it this way, right? There is definitely a similarity between them, between the three. So between Devil's Do, uh, New Eden, and um, Star Trek V, in that, there is this propensity to think that there's this grand being and we're going to call it God. And then it just turns out to be an alien. Right. And I think that's, what's going to happen with these beings in discovery, right. Is that they're going to turn out to be a really advanced alien species. Right. That's why they reinterpret Kirk's law or Clark's law like they do. Um, so they have that similarity, but I don't remember anyone in, well, maybe I have to watch five again to see if, if there's any point at the, in the story where somebody says, I can't explain that. Therefore, it's magic, or therefore, it's God. Um, whereas they definitely do that in Devil's Due and New Eden. No, well, they're going to Shakari or some other place. They're basically going to heaven, but whatever. I, I love that movie, which is stupid. I know. <laughs> I'm like one of five Star Trek fans, I think, who actually like Star Trek Five, which is a good number. You have people who are who are definitely backing you up. Uh, uh, Chris Riker says uh, Star Trek Five beats Star Trek into darkness, and uh, Narda. Uh, says, what does God need with a starship? I love Star Trek V too, Ken. Brilliant movie. Nice. Well, <laughs> look, I'm not going to go love. I'm not going to say love on that movie, but, a, I, but I, I, I like the the take on the heavy topics. That, there's, uh, I think there is a lot to love about that movie, but I can't, I don't know. Well, this is maybe a non sequitur, but for those who are interested, who like Star Trek V and are also interested in religion, there's actually a Christian band called Mortal that has a an a, 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 a album I think called Lewis that has samples from Star Trek Five all the way through the album in kind of a really creative way. So maybe nobody cares, but I happen to have that uh, in my head. I thought I might mention. I got to ask you a question because I feel like we kind of jumped in with some of the things that were most interesting to us, and maybe it is just I mean maybe it is this topic for the night. Um, I think there's a little bit of a prime directive question as well, but like, what was the thing that sort of like jumped out at you, um, uh, Kyle, uh, from this episode? What was the thing that like turned you on the most? Um, no, I mean, it definitely is what we've kind of discussed already, right? Uh, the kind of mystery there for magic fallacy that Michael is, you know, trying to avoid. Um, one of the things that little things that upset me is when Michael said that, uh, suppose my religion is science. Um, and a lot of people may kind of make arguments to try to equate um, science uh, as a real or equate science and religion or suggest that science is a religion, uh, which I do not think is, is accurate at all. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at my notes here um, there, you know, there were claims like, um, you know, uh, we don't need proof or guided by faith, that kind of stuff. Um, even call talking about the corrupt way of old earth, uh, maybe somehow thinking that, Maybe they thought that science somehow led to World War Three or something like that, uh, and so they had abandoned science for religion, thinking that it was it was had led to violence. Um, but uh, 
the but speaking of the prime directive, that was the other kind of lesson to pull out of it. And I think it's a really interesting question uh, to think about whether or not the prime directive applies like Pike think it thinks it does here where they're humans, but they're pre-warp. Um, and so we shouldn't interfere with their civilization. And I guess the question has to do with like, aren't they put as part of your civilization? So you should be free to reintroduce them into your society. Um, and that should be perfectly fine um, because they're already human. So you're not interfering with a different society, but you could classify them as their own society. So maybe it's just a definitional issue, but I thought that was an interesting interpretive issue when it came to the prime directive or general order one. See, I was going to ask you about that, actually, uh, specifically dealing with Jacob. I mean, we can go to everybody else in a moment, but Jacob is sort of hip to what's going on, or at least he seems he thinks he's hip to mm-hmm. what's going on. And of course, maybe we find out he is or he finds out he is. I'm wondering on an individual level, what would have been the best thing for Jacob is the best thing for Pike to not return for Pike to return and say, but you can't come with us or to uh, for Pike to offer to bring Jacob along. Yeah, you, you'd think that maybe he could he could bring him along, right? Like there's uh, there there are times in you know TNG where that happens, right? Where they have some interference and somebody just can't live with the society anymore, and so they ask for asylum. Like if he had asked for asylum, maybe they would have uh, you know been kind of obligated to give it to him. Um, I mean, he seemed to be satisfied. I mean, just from a subjective standpoint, he seemed to be satisfied. Once he knew the answer, he's like, all right, well, I'll lock up the, you know, the distress signal that I was sending out and I have my answer. I know that you're, you know, I know that you're out there and that Earth survived and I'm kind of good enough, right? Um, You wonder, from a prime directive standpoint, you wonder if you can leave him there, right? Like, because he's going to, you would would assume that he's going to start telling people, what he knows, right? Uh, and that power cell is going to definitely raise some questions about where he got it and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, you wonder if he's not violated General Order One at that point, right? So it would seem that taking him, taking him with them, would be the best option, even for the you know for the Prime Directive. Uh, but that's just kind of my off the head, you know, off the cuff uh, reaction there. Yeah, I wonder actually if. I mean, if Pike knew that he was violating the prime directive, but he finally had a way to do it in sort of a Kirk fashion, honestly, like, like when, when he said earlier, well, you know, this is a very important thing. So Starfleet would be fine with Stamets using the spore drive again, because this is a very important thing. Well, it's very important for them to find out more about the red angel or whatever they're going to call it. And that helmet is the way for them to do that. So they'll make a trade. So, so there's Pike finally finding his loophole where he can actually go ahead and show him that stuff because I don't know. Maybe it was what he wanted to do anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, yeah. And uh, it's, not, it's not like Kirk didn't do totally worse, totally worse things <laughs> right in TOS. So. Every other episode. To see that, that that's Every the thing. Kirk, Kirk would have shown up and like, I feel like in the first five minutes say, Oh yeah, they're from earth. Uh, here, we're going to show you our starship and here's our technology. Uh, you're living a lie. Now get to uh, work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, oh, uh, oh, you're already working. Eh, well, it's fine. Yeah, work hard. Hey, I want to bring it. It looks like we have one of our callers ready here. I don't know if that is Thomas or John. Speak up. That's John. And why would you say Kirk would just out everything? Why does my man Kirk always end up uh, getting short shrift? Around here, I mean, I, I, come on, man! 
He's the man who will who will talk a computer to death. Look, look, you're screwed either way. If your society is run by computers, you will talk your computer to death. Or if you're living in this peaceful, agrarian, uh, uh, technologically, well, no technology, he's just going to show up like, oh, yeah, well, well you're doing this wrong. Uh, we're going to bring you, uh, we're, we're going to show you how to live correctly like us. So, um, no, no, if, yeah. if, 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 Kirk, like Kirk, if Kirk, Kirk hasn't, no, if Kirk has an idea, it's that we're all meant to struggle. Well, he, so that, he does that, have I mean, that idea, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it's funny that you mentioned Kirk, though. So, so New Eden, for me, seems to be what I've been hearing from people in and around social media or friends that, we've, that I've talked to. Um, New Eden seems to be the, uh, the Riker's beard of star trek discovery so far like this seems to be the thing that people are latching onto and saying discovery is finally star trek which is ridiculous it's been star trek the whole time but what's interesting for me is that it seems to be a um almost you know a a way for people to identify with the show and for instance they can say discovery is finally with this episode star trek it's just like and then insert your favorite Star Trek series here. For me, New Eden <laughs> feels very TOS, but it seems like for other people, they're like, oh no, it's very TNG. And then for others, they're like, it's very Voyager. And I'm wondering if you're noticing in this sort of, you know, the way people are accessing this or talking about it, if it just seems to be wherever you are in your Star Trek fandom, wherever, wherever you intersect with that and that's your Star Trek, this seems to be firing on all thrusters for you. Um, and, and what's funny is I've seen comparisons to Anison Mount's Pike to Picard and TNG and Janeway and Voyager. But for me, he's very Kirk. And I, I just, the more I watch New Eden, I've seen it about four times so far. He just comes through in spades as very first season TOS Kirk, which shouldn't really be all that shocking if you think about it. You know, Pike when we meet Pike, yeah, he's depressed. He's had his ass handed to him uh, at the beginning of that episode. He's lost seven people, including one of his, his own yeomen. Um, by the end of the episode with the Telosians, he's gotten the spring back in his step, and he's ready to go off and have an adventure aboard the Enterprise. Uh, outside of the name swap between the cage and where no man's gone before, as written on the page, the character of Christopher Pike is, in fact, very Jim Kirk. So I wonder if we're not seeing that play out here 50 years plus later in Discovery. And to those fans that say, wow, I'm really enjoying Pike, to them I would say, go and watch some first season TOS. If you're enjoying the Pike that you've seen in the first two episodes of Discovery, maybe the first season of TOS is for you. Yeah, hmm. I mean, there's, I, I think a lot of, honestly, what happens with Kirk is, I mean, first of all, there is a sort of a caricature that people have in their minds that's born kind of, of, you know, Shatner on SNL and Kevin Pollack doing his Shatner imitation. And, and honestly, season three, I mean, season three is not the strongest. Yeah. And, and, and people tend to talk about the funny things more than the very serious moments, right? I mean, there's a... I remember talking to John about it when we were watching uh, uh, TOS for Mission Log. There's an amazingly comical moment that that Shatner delivers that was rarely actually written for him or written for him well. And so that wasn't the kind of thing that he really got to to sort of do or explore more. I mean, I, I'm with you. I was really surprised going back and, and, and studying um, uh, TOS for Mission Log. That, and Kirk was not... 
love him and leave him, leave him Kirk. Kirk was not, you know, a girl on every planet, um, especially in the first yeah. season and a half, maybe first two seasons. Yes. And he's subtle. There's subtlety to that, Kirk. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think you're, I think you're probably right at the same time, Pike, I mean, Pike, I mean, because we only got that one episode, there are so many possibilities with Pike. We never got to love him and leave him Pike. We never got to, uh, you know, uh, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if because we only got the one episode with Pike that people have always characterized him as somebody who's feeling trapped by his commander or is feeling depressed. I'm like, no, no, that's just where we met the dude. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that that's who he was always going to be. But I feel like, are we stuck with that version of Pike? Because that's all people knew. Yeah. You know? I, we talked about that a little bit last week, just saying there is so little of Pike that you have this blank slate and, and really you can justify anything with them. I, I don't think they're being that sloppy, but you could justify anything with them to say that Pike for that moment was the depressed, introspective Pike who ha- had just come from a bad mission. But now it's a little time later, he's got that spring back in his step. And I think there are certain attributes to certain starship captains that are going to be similar. You know, we, we put Jim Kirk in a situation where he's got to decide uh, what his next step will be based on you know, uh, hopefully what's best for the civilization that he is now intruded upon or or are threatened by some outside force, we're putting Pike in the same position. And, and they they're kind of do similar things, which is to say, take advice from your, uh, your, your closest confidants uh, in your crew, weigh out what those uh, options are, see, uh, compare that against your, uh, your values, which are spelled out partly by things like General Order 1, a.k.a. the Prime Directive. So uh, these are similar tropes that we expect out of Star Trek. Very much to your point, John, whether that occurred in TOS or occurred in TNG or occurred in a later series. I also appreciate <laughs> Enterprise for doing that kind of stuff where you put Archer in that situation saying, I don't have rules to deal with this, <laughs> you know? So right. I just have to figure out what I feel like is morally right here. Ken, we're going to get to Enterprise. Uh, we, we got about six years <laughs> and uh, we'll be able to talk about Enterprise. So, yeah. That all um, all that being said, I will say that New uh, Eden does feel to me to be the most TOS thing since TOS. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, okay. Well, you're you're a Kirk guy. Right back. So yeah, I am. And, and then one last thought, and then uh, you guys can discuss. Uh, does anybody feel like this the story arc for the season, faith, uh, science? you know, the bringing Spock into it, the relationship with Burnham. Anybody else feel like Cybok just naturally has to show up at some point? Uh, see, Larry, <laughs> didn't Larry Nemechek say that last week? Yeah, and, and uh, Earl, our producer, is giving us the big thumbs up and the big head nod. So, yeah, he's already on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, here's an interesting question that comes from uh, Facebook uh, right now in the chat. Barry, Barry Wallace says, here's a question. Is Pike a Christian? or at least religious to a degree with the father who knows comparative religion and seem to know ritualistic language. And then he puts in quotes and also with you to me, I mean, that, that was uh, a very interesting line to drop in there because he, he said it almost reflexively. So he knows that this is a thing. He knows that this is a part of the ritual. Um, 
But Barry raises a really good question here. Does that mean that Pike is religious or does it mean that Pike at least has been raised in uh, in understanding these traditions? So his level of, let's say, uh, respect for this is something different than uh, than Burnham's experience or Owo's experience. I love that they walked into the church and the first thing he says is, either of you been in a church before? <laughs> Just sort of with the assumption that they probably had not. Um, but I like that we're keeping a little bit of ambiguity in where Pike is actually coming from. Yeah. So can I weigh on this? Oh, please. Wait. That's why you're here. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I noticed this too, right? And clearly he has a respect for religion that like Burnham doesn't have. Um, mm-hmm. it, but it's a really good question of whether he not actually, he actually is religious or not. And if he's specifically Christian or not. Right. Cause, but he's clearly more educated about it than Burnham is as well. Um, I think an interesting, the, the key to answering this question, at least what we've got so far, might again be that line about reinterpreting Moore's third law, right? The sufficiently in, uh, intelligent of uh, non-term species is equivalent to God, right? Is indistinguishable from God, right? Mm-hmm. So um, let me let me let me preface this with just a little bit of, of, of preface, and then I'll, I'll get to the point. Um, yeah. So there's this uh, this kind of problem in in philosophy. Um, which I'm not going to tell you exactly where it comes from, but um, so, uh, but imagine a, a Christian who's frustrated with atheist who won't believe, right? And um, the Christian says, like, well, what would what would convince you? What if God came down Himself uh, and you know presented Himself to you and said, what can I do to prove that I exist and I'm God, right? Um, and the atheist might say something like, no matter what he did, right? He could do all these grandiose things and whatever, whatever. I could do everything I ask him to do. I still wouldn't believe in God. I would think it was more likely that it was an alien species bent on fooling me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that has technology that I can't understand or you know, abilities that I can't understand. Um, and that, that would be the more likely explanation, right? And on right. one side, the theist will say, well, that's irrational because now your belief is unfalsifiable, right? Like literally nothing could convince you that God exists. So that means that your belief that God doesn't exist is irrational because it's unfalsifiable. On the flip side, the atheist might say, no, it's not that it, that's not the problem. It's just that that's how explanations work, right? Like the nature of explanations are, if they're going to be a good one, they can't raise more questions than they answer. They can't invoke unnecessary entities. They can't do, and it's just because of the way reason works, it's always going to be, I don't understand it, is going to be a better explanation than God did it, right? And that's an alien I can't understand is always just going to be a better explanation than God did it, right? I'm sorry that makes, you know, uh, it falsifiable, but that's just kind of the way the reason, reason works, right? And so, but what one, what, my, what one might say at that point is maybe it doesn't matter, right? If the alien is beyond our understanding in that way, it's just a matter of interpretation, as to whether or not you call it God or not, right? So when you see Pike say that line, like a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from God, you might take it as a kind of uh, uh, something that's degenerating to, uh, that's probably the right word, but it's, it's that it kind of look down, looks down on religion, right? Uh, how silly you would believe to believe that it's God if it's something that you can't explain, uh, if it's a being that you, you can't explain, right? Uh, it's just some alien, right? But he also might just be saying, no, it's equivalent, right? Like, Hmm. You, it's not irrational to believe in God because God is the same kind of thing 
as a really advanced alien technology or a really advanced alien species. Uh, and so people who like if these people are religious and they're worshiping this advanced alien, but they call it God, it is God, like by any kind of normal interpretation. And they're theists, like in any normal interpretation. And so their religion is actually true, right? Um, he would, uh, I mean, he might even like think of it this way, right? That line where um, Burnham says that they, their, their faith they cling to is a lie. And he says, can you prove that? And she right. says, well, I, could, I can prove that what happened to them wasn't a miracle, Right. But can you prove that might be a matter of interpretation, right? You might be able to prove that it's an alien species, but can you prove that that alien species isn't God? Because whether or not they are God may just be a matter of like definitional interpretation. And so it wouldn't be something that you could prove. It would just be, well, by your definition. Well, couldn't, it, couldn't, it also, couldn't it also just be that Pike is a good anthropologist? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah, and he's open-minded so. about such things. I yeah, mean, it totally the, could be. from an anthropological, yeah, yeah. the, you know, I, the way I interpreted it and I have my own take on it, my own personal take on it, but I also think that being the captain of the enterprise requires the captain of all people aboard the ship, especially in the pre TOS and TOS era where the captain is leading landing parties and planetary surveys. Isn't there sort of the expectation that the captain of the enterprise of all people should be a good anthropologist. And so in that way, when encountering uh, a new species or even an offshoot of our own that has a particular belief system, isn't it incumbent upon him to look at his officer and say, well, can you prove that? Who are you to, to discount the beliefs of these people that we're studying or that we're going to interact with? Like, I just think that that's just him being a good captain. And, and there's an especial emphasis placed on it because his father was a scientist who taught comparative religion. I think that's going to be fascinating to watch as the season goes on. But I, I saw a lot of people sort of not lose their minds over it, but question what was going on. Like, is Pike a man of faith or not? And we're all creatures of faith, whether we're purely scientific or whether we're theist or whatever. Everyone lives and takes their next breath based on some form of faith that there'll be oxygen around us to breathe or that uh, we're going to have a meal uh, when we need it next. Everyone's a creature of faith. It just depends on what the, what it is. In fact, they put their faith in as far as Pike himself. I just think he was anthropologically sound and a really smart, intelligent leader. Hmm. Kyle. (laughs) Um, I would say that. I mean, I would I would disagree uh, with the claim that everyone's a creature of faith. I don't know if we want to get into that. Um, but uh, I mean, faith I think of the heart, he's, man. What, well, it's, that? it's faith, he said faith of the heart, which he's quoting the Enterprise <laughs> introduction. Um, <laughs> so um, it, it it depends on how you define faith. If you mean belief, yeah. of course that's true. Uh, if you mean uh, belief without sufficient evidence not necessarily true. Like I have sufficient evidence to think that there'll be air around me for the next breath. So I don't have faith that I, I was being intentionally vague. You were. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right that, um, that the, the captain's got to be a good anthropologist and be open-minded, right. And tolerant of other, of, uh, other species, uh, and other societies, ways of life and belief and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, unfortunately, right. I might, we might disagree about how good Kirk was at this, Right. Uh, because Kirk was definitely intolerant of, of certain species beliefs. Um, I have in mind the feeders of all here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And this is one of the reasons that I think that you, you might be right, John, that Kirk would have gone down and just corrected them and told them, you know, and brought them back in or whatever, because his main excuse for destroying Vol, right? Well, and this also happened to, uh, in, um, in, for Landrew's society, right? Yeah, Return of the Archons, of course. Right, which was the first time that the Prime Directive was mentioned, General Order 1, right? Yeah. His, I mean, he, he interpreted the Prime Directive as, well, the Prime Directive says that we can't uh, interfere with the development of a society, does this society look like it's developing to you, Spock? No, it doesn't. <laughs> we can do whatever the hell we want, right? And it's the same thing right. with this society. They haven't developed since they got there, right? And so Kirk could totally just say, eh, they're not developing. They need to develop. And so we'll make them do that, right? Um, yeah. As far as the feeders of Vol are concerned, though, can I mean, am I the only one who sees precisely why Jim Kirk would have a problem and want to disrupt a society of fully and completely attractive people that don't have physical love. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Uh, hold on. Ken's cutting you off. Ken's no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cutting you off. Well, I, I am kind of cutting you off because I have another couple of questions we have to get to and we have another thing we have to do, but I am going to thank you very much, John, for calling in because it's, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And I look forward to the next time. Always a pleasure, man. Hey, uh, we got like another seven or eight minutes here. So 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call. 646-558-8656. What happens in seven or eight minutes? We say goodbye, and then we encourage you to stick around for another 30 minutes. So in about 37 or 38 minutes, the good people from Priority One are going to be getting together to record their live show because they do that every Tuesday night, uh, 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern. Uh, Kenna, uh, Elijah... Anthony, I'll bring you news from all around the Star Trek multiverse. It's TV and movie news. It's gaming news. It's literary reviews. It's a ton of stuff. Uh, as I say, they kick off about a half hour after we're done. So grab a snack, grab a drink, you know, pet your dog, whatever you want to do for those 30 minutes, but then come back here. Go to facebook.com slash priority one podcast to catch the live recording of priority one. And of course, if you can't catch the live recording, uh, do download them later this week. Their show drops every Friday. So wherever you get podcasts, just search for Priority One, or you can go to podcast.roddenberry.com and find out everything that's going on there. There are a couple of interesting things that came up with, with, uh, with John a moment ago, with the caller, John, a moment ago. I have a question for you guys. If we do 15 episodes of faith versus not faith, uh, religious versus science, uh, fact-based versus belief, and we get to the end of 15 episodes, and the characters on the show have decided nothing. Are you cool with that or are you bummed? Hmm. Um, I, I don't think that I, I, I assume that nobody who is writing and producing uh, discovery and, and I have no inside track on this, uh, but I assume that you don't start out with big ideas like that, that you hope will propel some interesting commentary and debate throughout a season uh, would land anywhere with people not growing or changing in some way. You, you don't write a one hour episode of TV like that, much less 14 episodes of TV like that. Your characters have to go somewhere. They, they, they have to grow somehow. And it may not be all the characters here, but it, it, at least the, the few that we are very interested in, they will have to go somewhere. They will have to be challenged by this. And I just think we're seeing the birth of that right now in this episode, uh, which is why it's great that we're presented with all these questions tonight. 
uh, asking each other, where are they going with this? What do they actually believe? What do they actually think? Um, the real question to me is whether or not Star Trek, in big, bold letters, is making a statement with this. Because I think you can go back and look at Star Trek episodes like Who Mourns Radonaeus, like Who Watches the Watchers, um, and say, here's Star Trek making a statement about what the future could or should be like and about how we get to that future. And one of those things is to say, you know, we gave up some of the superstitions that were holding us back. Mm -hmm. So I'm very curious to see if Discovery lands in a place like that, that says um, we're better off when we do certain things or when we don't do certain things. Yeah. So if, if I, I don't know my Voyager all that well, right? But Voyager had a little bit more of a kind of pro-religious, uh, right, tolerant of religious beliefs and that kind of stuff more than like a lot of other Trek that is very much like we're giving up the superstition. We're moving away from that. That's how we progress. That's how we move forward. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see if if Discovery, like it looks like what Burnham's going to learn in the end is to be more tolerant of religion. And maybe it's true. Right. Like she's I mean, I'm going to be I will be disappointed if the kind of upshot of season two is science was Burnham's religion. And now she's, you know, broadened her mind and she can now embrace other religions. Right. Like Uh I'm going to be very disappointed if that's the kind of moral at the end. Um, That was was honestly one of the things that I thought of when John was answering the question just a moment ago when he said what he wants to see is growth. You could sell the idea that growth for Burnham would be, oh, you see, you thought you knew, but really you don't know. And now we don't know. And right. so, I mean, it's like, I wonder if, if we're going to be let out into 15 episodes and then sort of dropped off with wherever we want to go, or if there is going to be any sort of stand. And, you know, doesn't even necessarily mean that any of us will agree with the stand they end up at. But yeah. uh, I'm wondering if they're going to end someplace or if the place they're going to end is where do you want to go today? Yeah. Right. So if it's the kind of thing I alluded to before, where they like, if they discover that it is an alien species and we, now we know about it and then you can call that alien species God, if you want. Okay. I'll be okay with that. Right. But if it does end with like, Oh no, they're not an alien species. It looks like it's God, or at least it still could be God. Like they're leaving, leaving that open to interpretation and Burnham kind of learns. So, Oh, well, I guess I'll be open to God. Like that. I will be disappointed in that. That's very unstar Trekky. And I'd be there right right there with you, uh, Kyle. I, I think the, um, you know, I, I will say this, and I think that Star Trek has done a pretty good job in the past, and particularly in TOS, uh, to say there are belief systems that exist. I, in TOS, we saw uh, a woman who we assumed is uh, uh, still a, a Hindu believer. Uh, we had a... a Presumably a religious ceremony on board that got interrupted in uh, Balance of Terror. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's Balance yeah. Terror, they get married. Um, yeah. So the, there are things that allude to the existence of religion and various types of religion in the future that Star Trek posits. But it also kind of starts off from a point that says, okay, everybody who has gotten to this stage where there is a Starfleet or there's a Federation that isn't the driving force of these institutions. So we're at least starting out with the presumption that science is something that we're all sort of agreed upon. <laughs> we all we all get that this is a method for determining fact from uh, BS, and we have to move on from there. 
but there are instances where people uh, uh, do hold face. And I don't think that's out of step with what's happening in these very early stages of discovery, taking that on as well. Uh, so, yeah, again, very anxious to see where this actually lands in the end. And I, I hope it's not the cop-out that, that you just described. <laughs> I got to say, I almost I almost wonder, John, if you and I shouldn't pull um, uh, Kyle off for a, uh, for a supplemental at some point, because we're about to run out of time, but there's so much stuff that I wanted to get to. Like, yeah. what the heck was going on with Culber? And and Stamets, why didn't he want to go into the mycelial network? And did he see something while he was there? Because he came out and he just told Tilly, I don't want to talk about it. And so your assumption might be he didn't see anything. The other assumption might be he actually did. Now he's bummed that he's out of that. Not necessarily a philosophical thing. Hey, here's another question I wanted to ask. What's the chance that people just say like, wow, that was weird. We should combine all of our religions into one. Or would yeah. they get there and go, right, I'm going that way, you go that way, I'll see you in 500 years and we'll see you as the sharpest rocks. Unfortunately, none of that is stuff that we have time to get to tonight because we've hit the end. Kyle, do me a favor, tell people, please, where they can find more information about you, what you're working on now, what you would most like for them to check out if they want to try to check you out. Yeah, so you can find me on thegreatcourses.com. Just go to thegreatcourses.com and search my name, David Kyle Johnson. My courses will show up. Uh, if you have the Great Courses Plus app, uh, my courses are available there. Exploring Metaphysics will be there soon. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I am at Dr. Dr. Period, David Kyle Johnson on Facebook. Um, all of my work is available on academia.edu. Just Google my name, David Kyle Johnson, academia.edu. That'll pop up. Links to my courses and books are there. And then all of my journal articles, all of my pop culture articles, all of them are up there for free. Uh, and I am looking forward to this. I'm currently working on a Black Mirror and Philosophy book. Uh, we have a chapter dedicated to every episode in Black Mirror and some general chapter, uh, general topic stuff at the end. It's uh, I'm really proud of it so far. It's really looking good. It's going to be out later this year if everything goes uh, planned correctly. Um, so look forward to that in the future. But uh, there you go. Man, I can't thank you enough. I'm already thinking of questions for the supplemental we get to do with you somewhere down the road. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you to totally all. Let me know. Great. Thank you to all of our listeners live and later. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production this week. Again, a huge thanks to Earl Green for helping us out. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. Thank you again to everybody who joined us live or later. We will talk to you again next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.